Your Locked On Maple Leafs. Your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked on Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. You can hit me up on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show as well at Locked on Leafs. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating or review as well. That would be much, much appreciated. Hopefully you guys had a great weekend. I know I did. Uh... It was supposed to rain, and it was actually quite sunny here in Niagara where, where I was, so it was actually pretty nice uh, little surprise here for Mother Nature, which is something that you don't get too often these days. Um, but joining me today uh, for a discussion about the new recent hire for the Maple Leafs and also get into some prospect talk is Scott Wheeler, a uh, prospects and Leafs writer from The Athletic. Scott, how are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I, I was pleasantly surprised by the weather. I was looking at it last Friday, and they were like, okay, you, you better just buckle in for 10 days right? of thunderstorms. That's what it was looking like. And then we actually – I'm up in Aurora. We were just talking before the before I hopped up on here, but I'm up in Aurora instead of at my place in Toronto because my place in Toronto flooded about two months ago, and we're still in the process of getting all the repairs done. Uh, but it was it was beautiful here on the weekend, which yeah. which was an, a nice, pleasant surprise. And it's supposed to I mean, we're recording this on Monday. It's supposed to be pretty nice on Monday as well. So maybe uh, maybe it's not going to be as ugly as everyone thought it was going to be. Yeah, because it looked like we we're going to have showers and thunderstorms for about a week straight. And yeah. it's held off till now. Let's just cross our fingers <laughs> and hope that it holds off the rest of the way. I mean, I'm sure we're yeah. not going to get that lucky, but. At least maybe on Thursday for people who want to have some some Canada Day festivities. Maybe it'll hold off at least for Thursday. Um, so, Scott, you're the perfect man to have on today's podcast because on Friday the Leafs uh, announced that they hired USHL Chicago Steel General Manager Ryan Hardy to be the Senior Director of Minor League Operations. Um, in his role, he'll serve as the GM of the uh, Marlies as well as the ECHL Growlers, which, interestingly enough, you're wearing a growler's hat as we speak. Those obviously through the podcast won't realize that, but I can see that you're wearing one. <laughs> but um, tell me a little bit about uh, Ryan Ryan Hardy. I know you know him very well. Um, why is he so special? What uh, what sparkle did this cause for Kyle uh, to go out and, and put him make him part of this Leafs organization? Yeah, Ryan's a good buddy of mine. He's one of, I mean, we were kind of talking about this before the show as well, but he's one of those guys who I'm just a really big fan of. He's become a, a not just a source for me in terms of the work and the reporting that I do on, on the junior hockey side, but also just someone who I can sort of look to to talk to and, and a great guy who's been a huge help for me over the years. So uh, I'm just happy for him on a personal level. That would probably be the first thing that I would say. But in terms of Ryan Hardy, the hockey man, um, I mean, he's, he's done it an unconventional way. He really isn't the hockey man. He built that program in Chicago completely different than any of the other programs that were constructed there. He talks openly about his affinity for the little guy who's got lots of skill. He tapped into that in the draft in the way that they acquired talents talented players through the draft, but also just in the recruiting process. They just play or played in Chicago, a very sort of puck possession. We're just going to control the puck. We're going to wait for our opportunities. They weren't a volume shooting team. They didn't throw pucks on net. They navigated inside the offensive zone and kind of just waited for their opportunity. And 
all of their kids could hang on to the puck and play with the puck on their stick. And they would often have three forwards on a forward line who could all do that. Um, and, it, and it just made for a really good, entertaining, just impressive hockey. And it also turned them into a giant and it turned them into a destination. And really until the steal, there have been teams over the years that in the USHL that have attracted top talent, but until the steal that there was never a competitor with the London Knights or the Portland winter Hawks or the Kitchener Rangers or the Oshawa generals, right? Like they're just, the CHL still had the giants of junior hockey. And that's absolutely not the case at all anymore. I actually was texting with Ryan a few days. I was a little upset. He, he didn't give me the heads up on the news, but I was texting with him just a few days before the, the news broke. I was texting with him last week and he, he was joking with me about how he's, he's not making friends in, in the CHL these days and how he's, he's sort of starting to rub some people the wrong way, if you will. And just in terms of all the recruiting that he's doing and, um, it's a, it was really, really something else that they'd done. And they did it from top to bottom. It, it, I mean, certainly money played a part. Chicago was a, a wealthier team uh, in terms of that landscape. But it was also using Daryl Belfry, who works with the Leafs, and Greg Moore, who is now the Toronto Marlies head coach. Like, th- there has been this – I was joking with him after I heard the news uh, and reached out to him, but there's been this sort of migration of people from Chicago – uh, to Toronto and the, and they now the Leafs now have three of their staff they also had Adam Nicholas who is a skills coach who did long for a long time worked with the Chicago Steel and worked with the Leafs going the other direction last year was Noel Needham who scouted for the Leafs for a couple of years and is now was now the assistant general manager for the Chicago Steel uh, so there's there I mean there are deep connections there right the Leafs drafted Nick Abruzzese uh, who was at Harvard and, and previously at the Chicago Steel. Uh, they drafted him as an overager, and Nick has had a, a, a really nice progression for himself, has dealt with a kind of a, a hip groin injury over the last couple of years, but um, has really developed nicely. So th- there's there are tons of ties there, and I think he's a great fit. He's an unconventional thinker. He likes to ap- approach the game in different ways. He considers himself a bit of a trailblazer in terms of just not really fitting in with the, the way that uh, other people think about the game these days, he's always trying to sort of process it a little bit differently. So it's a, it's a big get. He was destined for an NHL opportunity. And I think having him oversee the Marlies um, and oversee the, the sort of program in, in Newfoundland and then take a little bit of that away from Lawrence Gilman, who's kind of been doing that. Uh, I, I think it's just a natural fit for both him and the organization and, and just something that makes a ton of sense. Was he considered like an up-and-coming hockey mind, like a young GM waiting in the wings and the Leafs just jumped on him? Yeah, definitely. Uh, The the challenge is, right, that it's as much as the USHL, which has actually become a little bit of an impressive breeding ground for coaches and managers over the last few years, um, as much as it has become that, it's still very hard to go from that kind of a role to a very senior role. So I think he was one of those people who was just comfortable waiting for, for something like that to happen. He didn't want to go somewhere else and be an amateur scout or be sort of a, just a piece of the puzzle. I think he wanted control over something of his own because he's always had control over something uh, in his role in Chicago. So 
this this gives him that. He's still not at that sort of AGM level where I think some people thought he might be able to break into with his first NHL opportunity. But he's a cut below that in a in a pretty prominent role with a massive organization, and he's going to have huge resources at his disposal to continue to do the recruiting, especially at the Marlies level with college free agents and, and that kind of a thing. Continue to use the resources that he has there to help Kyle bring. The, all of those kids that they the Leafs love to bring in. I mean, you go back down the line, Mason Marchment, Justin Hall, Trevor Moore. There have been a lot of kids that they've brought into the program over the years who are maybe a little bit different than team than the players that other teams are scouting. Um, so I, I think he'll be able to continue to do that and just sort of add some some sources and some connections with players and with their agents, et cetera, that, that will help the Leafs continue to be a destination for free agents at that kind of minor pro level. Yeah, and I think having that USHL American uh, hockey, mm-hmm. you know, background definitely would help, especially with, you know, I think the the, the NCAA and, and the USHL, like they've come a long way over the last decade and a half or so. Like they've yeah. so many people come, like look, Cole Caulfield coming out of the the uh, the NCAA after just l- absolutely lighting it up, and you know, there's so many more that are going to be in, in this draft that were in the NCAA. Oh, empower the potential number one. It just mm-hmm. seems like it's it's no longer you know CHL or bust for a lot of guys. So having someone who has strong roots in the American programs, um, I think, is also going to be really beneficial for the Maple Leafs. Um, is is Ryan Hardy considered more of like a, a talent, a, a talent evaluator or a talent developer. I mean, I guess he's probably a little bit of both, but where would you say his strengths lie in that department? I think in the evaluation side of things, but uh, on the development side of things, I mean, a, G- a GM is never hands-on with his players in that kind of a way. Right. But he had also been the architect of the development system that they built in Chicago, which has also taken a lot of quirky prospects, people who uh, were written off in some way or were not top CHL or NCAA recruits in some way. And he's turned those kids into top players. I mean, you look back at the last few years, Gunnar Fontaine uh, drafted as an overager, Josh Doan drafted as an overager overager this year uh nick abruzzese five foot eight five foot nine kid who they turned into an overage draft uh draftee and then all of the other kids i mean even this year there's a kid named ryan ufko who became their top defenseman who's going to be probably a third or fourth round pick in this draft uh and and ryan was he was i don't want to say nothing but he was not expected to be an nhl draft pick two years ago right so they're, they're, they've brought in a lot of the stars. They've got the Fantillies of the world and the Owen Powers of the world that have swung through and Brendan Brisson and players who were top prospects in their own draft classes. But they've also done a really good job developing players. And I think Ryan deserves a credit for, for A, the recruitment side, because that's where it starts. It's finding those players and seeing something in them. But B, also for the, the job he did in bringing in people like Nicholas and Daryl uh, to, to then work with those players one-on-one and in bringing in progressive coaches in a Greg Moore and now Brock Sheehan, who's there right now to, to, who are also interested in spending a lot of time on the individual player rather than on systems and the team construct and the way that we want you to play. And this uh, sort of X, Y, Z of this is how things have to be. They, they gave their players a lot of freedom. They gave them a lot of control over the puck they didn't ask them to sort of chip and chase or give and go and, and just kind of move the puck up ice. They played almost 
almost a slow style. I, I think Ryan would probably agree with that, that they, they didn't play an up-tempo sort of north-south, north-south, north-south game that we see some teams play. I mean, the, the kind of game that Mike Babcock wanted the Leafs playing, where as soon as he got the, you got the puck, it was about pushing up ice. Um, so they, they did things differently there from top to bottom, and, and that all starts with Ryan. So I think on both fronts, he deserves credit. But I, I would say that the more impressive track record he has is, is on the talent evaluation recruiting side of things he's very much a, I mean he's a, if we may or may not see him I'm not sure whether the Leafs will make him available to the media at any point um he, he's very he could end up in their sort of cone of silence but if we do get to hear from him at any point during his tenure in Toronto I think people will realize that he's a very charismatic guy and very well-spoken articulate guy and that helps him in the recruiting right he's he's a people person and that's gonna be that's gonna be key right with the Maple Leafs in, uh, in a little bit of cap hell, they're going to need to get like those college free agents and those undrafted guys who are definitely going to have to come through and, and be something and to have, you know, a talent evaluator like Ryan Hardy, who has ties to a lot of these players, I think is going to be, it's going to be key. Yeah, I think that's bang on. And even before, I mean, if you look back at his CV, right, even before this, this deal, he was, he was with the NTDP. Like he was a part of the USA hockey machine in terms of bringing in players to the national program as well. That's where he really sort of cut his teeth, if you will. So it's not just the Chicago Steel connections. It's the USA hockey connections. It's the relationship he already has with the NTDP. And there, there are a lot of strings that he can pull on for sure. Uh, in conversation with Scott Wheeler of The Athletic, uh, any final remarks you'd like to tell Leafs Nation about this guy before we start talking about some of these prospects that are already in the system? No, uh, not really. I'm, I'm just really excited for him. I'm happy for him, and I think he, he's a natural fit with the Leafs and what they have going on. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever. Did you know that the Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time only? Right now, they've got Grasshopper Cookie. It is phenomenal. And when you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about all of their favorites. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out. You got Coconut. Coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. So there's something for everyone. And know this, my favorite flavor, the peanut butter brownie. It is fantastic. And if you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mix box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors that we provide. And not only are the Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. They're great for the health conscious guy or gal, but also good for the keto diet. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like and get it now. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off So, so in conversation with Scott Wheeler of The Athletic, uh, let's chat about some lease prospects, and let's start with, well, probably the, the team's top prospect, and that's Rasmus Sandin. Uh, what did you see from him that makes you think that he'll be a fixture on this blue line for a long time? Oh, there's a lot of things. Um, he, he plays bigger than he is. I think that's what it all sort of starts with. Rasmus is a player who... He's not the biggest kid out there, but he's strong on his feet. He's sturdy on his feet. He doesn't shy away from the, the sort of physical side of the game. And I, I think the Leafs have increasingly 
looked for that. I mean, Travis Dermott was the same growing up. He played a tight gap. He was in your face. He was on your hip. He was stick to stick with you up the ice. And Rasmus is, is kind of the same. I would say that he's not quite as aggressive in terms of his man-on-man defense as Dermott is. I think Dermott's tight gaps can get him into trouble sometimes. But he, he, he's just a confident player in everything that he does. He's going to be able to hold his own defensively. And then most importantly, he gives them an option on the power play. He gives them a player who's adept at, at sort of exiting the zone, spinning off of pressure and making that head man pass. Uh, he's, he's not going to lead the rush. He's not going to break ankles. He's not going to walk off the line and beat two guys to get to the slot and rip a puck in. But he's going to make sort of consistent plays all over the ice. He's very mobile. Um, he, he just plays a smart sort of modern game. And I think that'll fit in with a variety of different types of partners over the course of his career as well. Like he's going to be able to play off of his partners and compliment them in different ways. So I just think he'll be a good piece to the puzzle. He's not going to be a first pairing guy in the prime of his career, I don't think, but he'll be a good second pairing option. who can run one of the power plays uh, and isn't a liability by any stretch defensively. So he's still got work to do defensively. There are still some holes in his game that he needs to iron out and his coverage within his own zone can stray a little bit and he can get caught in tough spots. But uh, by and large, I I think he's just going to be a contributing valuable player at both ends who can also help out on the power play, which with the state of the leaps, I mean, if you as good as Morgan Riley is, and um, as valuable as as uh, Brody is or Jake Muzzin is, the Leafs haven't really had a natural power play quarterback. I, I wouldn't even qualify Riley as that. So, I think he fits in there uh, more than anything long term. Yeah, I mean, plus technically Riley's going to new contract years. It's, it's, yeah, you don't want to talk about it, but his contract is up at the end of the year, and you're not too sure if he's going to be around long enough. So, you know, Rasmus Sandin is also, you know, kind of that guy who you somewhat look at and you're like, okay, well, can he be the Riley replacement if he leaves for, for more money? And if he ends up leaving through the free agent route, do you think he could potentially be that guy or at least going to have to try and find someone else if Riley does end up moving on? I think he could be a budget version of that guy. I think if he ends up ever ends up in those kinds of minutes, like IE playing 23, 24 minutes, you're going to see the same issues that have that have cropped up with Riley, which is that there will be a little bit more of an offensive tilt to his game. Uh, I, I think he can hold his own defensively in a second pairing role, but I think if you ask him to do more than that, there will be times where he gets exposed and Leafs fans are going to look at him and say, okay, this guy isn't the kind of defender that should be playing those kinds of minutes. Um, but I, I, I do think he can fill some of that void offensively. He can certainly run the power play. If they were to make a move with Riley and deal him this summer and there weren't a, a sort of big defenseman coming back, i.e. they didn't go out and, and target someone like a Dougie Hamilton, um, or they went after a sort of smaller player and a smaller name defenseman to sort of round out their group. I do think he could play, certainly run the second power play and and potentially even run the first power play with Austin and those guys next year as well. So he could fill the void there for sure, but no, you're, you're probably not going to see him ever. I don't think become the sort of 23, 24 minutes a night kind of player. Let's move on to, uh, to his buddy on the blue line there. Someone who former first round pick uh, Lilligren, who's, Taking a little bit of time to develop here, but you know, some people, such as I think I've read yourself, said he 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 looked better this year than he had in the past. Uh, is he going to be joining the big club as early as next season, or does he still need a little bit of seasoning to get there? 
Well, I've always had mixed feelings about Timothy. I, I really like the way he handles himself with the puck. He has improved extremely, I mean, it, just hugely improved his play without the puck. It, it was a, a kind of a mess in his draft year and, and in his early days with the Marlies when he came over. Um, a lot of turnovers, a lot of mistakes, a lot of flat-footedness where he was getting burned to the outside because his skating and his pivots were a major issue. I do still think that his skating is a bit of a concern uh, in terms of his upside as an NHL player because he just he's, he's very mobile laterally. Like he sidesteps pressure extremely well. Those little jumps around coverage when someone's chasing him down in the neutral zone. Um, he does a good job spinning off of pressure within his own zone on breakouts and that kind of a thing. But moving forward and moving backwards, there are serious issues in his mechanics and his stride and the way that he picks up his feet. Uh, and, I, and those have always been a challenge for him. I think more defending the rush than anything else. Uh, last year, he started to take the rush earlier. Uh, i.e. he didn't try to funnel people to the outside. He didn't try to um, sort of control play and steer defenders and play a wide gap. He tried to get on them earlier. And sometimes that resulted in a mistake where someone blew by him. Uh, but other times it, it allowed him to use his timing and his anticipation to break up a lot of plays early uh, so that he didn't get burned out wide once they built speed. So I think if he can continue to do that well, it'll mitigate against some of that. Uh, it will result in some mistakes trying to play that that early style in the neutral zone. But I, I think you can live with those mistakes if he's winning those sort of engagements more often than not and just being disruptive when he when he sort of gets stick on puck and that kind of a thing. So within the offensive zone, he's fine. He doesn't have a great shot, but he handles the puck across the blue line well, and he's a great passer. He's an excellent outlet passer, like one, really one of the only players within the organization who I think can regularly stretch the ice with a kind of three-zone breakaway style pass. Um but th there are definitely also holes there and concerns there that I have. I think he'll be a fine third pairing guy uh, when he does make it, whether that's this year or the year after. Uh, I, I think he'll be a, he'll be a fine everyday NHLer. I'm just not sure he has that power play upside that you hoped for uh, in his, as he was coming up. And then he's not going to be a penalty killer. So really at that point, what is he? He becomes that kind of Travis Dermott type player where he, you can play him on a regular shift at even strength, but at the end of the night, he's probably only giving you 13, 14 minutes because you can't use him on special teams and he's probably not talented enough or fast enough to defend against top players and play the big even strength minutes. So I think he'll just be a, a, an NHLer at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, or you could possibly try and move him. Maybe there's another GM out there that thinks that there's something left in him and left in the tank or some – you know, next level that he just hasn't gotten to that they believe in it. Cause he was like expected. I remember his draft year, Lilligren was expected to be like a top five, top three pick. And yep. at the start of the year he was, yeah. yeah at, the, at the start of the year. And then I think he had like pneumonia or something. Mono. Mono. Yeah. And then just ended up dropping all the way to the Leafs. And uh, I guess just hasn't really lived up to the billing of that, you know, projected top pick that he was at the yeah. start of draft year but like it, it there's there's some talent there it's got to find it and he's got to he's got to round out the game a little bit right and maybe some other team feels that that is the case and because I think that the Leafs are going to have to be making some moves this offseason I think uh, Kyle Dubas has come out and said that he wants to make some moves and make this team better 
and I feel like they can't really sign players because they just don't have the cap space. So I think trading is going to be one of those ways to do it, and maybe Lilligren could be a, a decent little trade chip. Yeah, I do think that the challenge there is that he is widely considered kind of a B-level prospect. So when teams call and there's any move of significance that's being debated, it's going to be Rodian Amarov, Nick Robertson, and Rasmus Sandin before it gets to Timothy and Abruzzese and that next tier, right? So uh, if, if teams will ask for those three. And I think if there's any – if you see the moves, if the Leafs make a significant move this year and there's a prospect or a young player going the other way – I would almost certainly bank on that player being one of Amarov, Robertson, and Sandin. Well, let's talk about those other other couple of guys. Um, it, specifically, actually, I want to talk about Nick Robertson really quickly. Uh, were you concerned at all that like his his injury this year maybe hindered his development this season? Um, didn't play as much as you would like him to, and didn't really get a chance to stick with the big club like he initially thought he was going to at the beginning of the year. Um, yeah, are you concerned at all about his development this year, not playing as much hockey? I'm um, no more than I am about any player during the pandemic, right? Like he, he, what, what, he, he really wouldn't have had other options elsewhere. You did, even if Peterborough was running, you didn't want him in Peterborough, and then Peterborough never even got running, so it was never really a debate, anyways, right? And I think having him play for the Marlies and get some time with the Marlies was actually something that never would have been otherwise afforded to him and, and the Leafs are probably happy that he had that opportunity to, to cut his teeth in the AHL and, and he looked very good in the AHL as well so certainly the NHL step never happened and maybe you were hoping for that but he's also a, I mean I'm sure you know this but a very young player he was one of the youngest players in his draft class he was a late birth year so there's all sorts that goes into that equation I did think that him not playing at the world juniors was a little bit weird uh, I think that would have been a good a good stage for him and a good opportunity for him. But there were circumstances in terms of his injury, how his year had gone, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they had that conversation with him and decided against it. So it, it's I don't think he's too upset about it. But seeing him go there and, I mean, they won gold, right? So seeing him be a part of that would have been, I think, good for him, especially after the way the, the previous World Juniors went, where everybody disappointed really except his line. <laughs> Uh, his line was excellent with Shane Pinto and those guys. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was a bit of a weird year for him, but you can say that about a ton of prospects who just didn't have that kind of progression last season that you would have hoped for. So I, I don't think he lost footing or, or sort of lost a step in that race, if you will. What's his ceiling, like Nick Robertson? Like where, where if he becomes what the Leafs think he can be, like where's his ceiling with this team? I think he, you expect him to be a second-line goal-scoring winger who can play on one of the power play units, preferably the top unit. I think there's a chance he ends up as more of a PP2 guy. But with his shot, I mean, he's got an NHL shot, and he's going to score some goals and rip some pucks past goalies. Uh, and I think he can still take a little bit too long to get that shot off. He's one of those kids who really sort of takes it back into his stance and then rips it. And when he does that, it comes off hard and when he was in junior it allowed him to just overpower goalies but we've seen him take a lot of those same shots in his NHL stints to date like he hasn't been shy to take them but they aren't going in because the goalies are just better uh, so there will need to be an adjustment there he also tends to take he scored a lot of bad angle goals in junior and so we I think we've still seen that a little bit of that from him in the NHL as well where he's taking shots off the boards and that kind of a thing um, 
but he's going to score some goals. Like he's, I think he'll be a 20 to 30 goal guy in the prime of his career. And he's going to play physical. He's going to work his tail off out there. He's going to endear himself to fans as kind of a guy who plays a little feistier than he, he maybe looks with his size and that kind of a thing. He's a, a really impressive athlete, like a gym rat who's developed a good strength on a small frame. Um, so th- there's a lot to like there. He, his hands are obviously the hallmark of his game in terms of keeping pucks alive and that kind of a thing. So I, I just think he'll be a good top six piece for them. I don't think he's ever going to be the driver on a line. Like he's probably going to be the second or third best player on a top six line kind of thing. Uh, but I think he can be that complimentary scorer who pops into the slot a couple times a game and gets a really quality scoring chance and puts a lot of those scoring chances in, right? So that that's kind of what I expect of him. Well, and, in, and on a team that basically has like those first and second line pairings with Matthews mm-hmm. and Marner and Tavares and Nylander kind of already set, it's, it's okay that they have a third guy on the line because, I mean, that's really all – is that's available right now. That's the role that someone's going to have to play. And that's what they've searched out when, I mean, other than Zach Hyman, that's what they've been in a constant search of, right? Like they've had Ilya Mikheyev there. They've had Andreas Janssen there. They've had Kasperi Kapanen in there and they just never really found that fit. So I think there's an opportunity for him to be that guy on one of those two lines. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on your sports action. The NHL playoffs are in full swing, and you can track all the action at betonline.ag. Get all the latest news, odds, and info on your sports needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action, and more. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website and use your mobile device to sign in today. Use a promo code LOCKEDON and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 50% off your first deposit at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. In conversation with Scott Wheeler of The Athletic, just going through chatting about some of the least prospects and some of the years that they had. Uh, and last year's first-round pick, Rodion Amirov, uh, will not be doing the least this season as I'm fairly co- – he signed with his Russian club for another year, right? Thought I saw that. Uh... Yeah, so it was up in the air for a long time. Uh, he had actually made it pretty open that he wanted to to come to the Marlies and play for the Marlies next year. Uh I, I don't know whether I don't know what if I even saw whether he signed up last I heard, I mean I was out of it I took a month off for mm. for my paternity leave uh, in May so I've, I'm just getting back into the swing of things here but my last I heard he was still planning on coming to the Marlies and and playing in Toronto next year oh that'd be perfect I for some reason I feel I thought I remember hearing like during the draft that he was signed for two more years with his club but. I mean, you can get out. No, of his contract. His contract definitely did ex- has expired. Oh. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know whether he has re-signed, but his contract was was up at the end of this season. At the end of this KHL season, so he had the option, and he had expressed interest, not publicly but privately, to people and through his agent, etc., that he was interested in coming to play for the Marlies. Well, that'd be great because if you can get a first, you know, first uh, firsthand look at these guys. I mean, w- watching him on TV and, and playing in Russia, I got to watch him at the World Juniors and get a, a first uh, eye look at him is, is nice. But what did you make of his kind of draft plus one season for uh, for Amirov? Did he kind of live up to the the billing as as a top 
was he 15th overall pick? Yeah, he was good. Um, yeah, he was really good. It wasn't a, a sort of breakout, sort of grab hold of it and completely change your echelon as a prospect kind of season. Like he didn't go from a B plus prospect to an A minus or an A prospect last year. He's still kind of in that that sort of tier for me. Um, but he's a he's a legitimate a legitimate top nine potential player in the NHL, and I think his season and considering his age reflected that. He was a little on the older side of the draft class, so you would expect him to have a little bit of a better year at the pro level than some of those other kids who were trying to cut their teeth in the KHL this year. And a lot of those kids in the KHL this year got better opportunities than they have in years past because of COVID and the way that it sort of ran through the league. And there were often nights where teams had six, seven sort of 19, 20 year old players on their team, which you never see in the KHL just because so many guys were sick. Um, So he got opportunities that way. He got to play in a little bit of a different role whenever that happened. Um, And it was a, it was a good year all told. And then at the world juniors, he was good. I I thought he was actually uh, in the first half of the tournament, arguably their best forward. And then he, in the middle round, he kind of, was a little bit disappointing. So uh, it was a bit of a mixed bag for Rodian, but he, I think it was a good sort of steady upward progression for him without being that sort of steep sudden incline where you go, okay, they got a steal here, which is frankly what happened with Nick Robertson in, in his post draft season where it was like, okay, that, that was a home run and, and you kind of knew it right away. Uh, that hasn't happened. There are also very good players taken around him who had that kind of a year. I mean, Dylan Holloway, had a brilliant year playing with Cole Caulfield at Wisconsin, right? So there were kids in that range who had excellent seasons, um, but he was he had a good year. He nothing to worry about. Who's kind of an under the radar least prospect who did take a nice leap this year that we haven't yet talked about? Ooh, there's a good question. Um, I mean, Toppy Niemla certainly. Uh, had an impressive season. Uh, got injured in the in in the middle of it, which sort of slowed it down and was, I know, very disappointing for him. He had a very ugly collision into the boards that sort of banged him up, but was obviously stellar at the World Juniors and played really well in league at the pro level as a teenager. So Tuppy's a player who who impressed me. I'm higher on him today than I was when they picked him. I liked him fine when they picked him, but he's definitely uh, helped his stock, if you will. Um, I'm trying to think of who else really, really impressed me in the last year other than Tuppy. Um, there had there wasn't really that sort of breakout season. I mean, Abruzzese didn't get to play because of his injury. Even if Harvard and because Harvard never got going because the Ivy schools didn't. Um, but even if they did, he would have missed the first half of the season as he rehabbed his injury. Um, so it, it was a little bit of a weird year for some of those sort of bigger name prospects at the top of their list. Um, so I, I would probably say that Tuppy's the one who helped himself the most, if you will. Which is good because the Leafs need uh, good young defensemen. So I mean, yeah, up that system is 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 good for them. Uh, all right, last uh, last question here for you, Scott, and then I'll I'll let you go and kind of get back to your day. Um, but I do appreciate you taking the time to chat here. Uh, so you know, like we've talked about a, a couple of times, the the Leafs really got a steal in Nick Robertson. So you know, the last time that they didn't have a first round pick was that year. Robertson was that first guy who they got like in the fifties. They're going to be without a first rounder again this year. You're a massive draft guy. Is this draft deep enough into the second round where there could be some serious talent to be had in the fifties where the Leafs are going to be picking? 
Yes, my answer would be yes. It, I mean, this draft isn't some crazy deep draft. I would actually say it's a below-average draft overall. But I think part of the reason I think it's a below-average draft is because of the very top of it rather than the depth. I have sort of two big drop-offs in talent as the draft gets deeper on my board. I've got one at 45, kind of in that mid-40s, and one in the early 80s. I only have about 81, 82 players in this draft that I would really be happy about picking. Uh, but the, the good thing with, with that in terms of the tiers on my board is there are players in that 45 who will be available into rounds three, four, and there are players in that 81 who will be available in round seven. So you'll be able to get one of those guys basically at every pick. And the Leafs only have three picks in this draft. They pick in round, I believe round two, five, and six. They don't have their first, they don't have their third or their fourth, and they don't have their seventh. So it's going to be a tough sort of go for them this time around. Um, but there are players in that range that I like and players in that range that I think they will like. Uh, one player who I've kept an eye on very closely this year, and the Leafs have a habit of picking Russians at least one or two a year, it seems, uh, is a kid named Alexander Kisakov who played the entire year in the MHL, didn't play in the KHL where he would have got a ton of sort of limelight. And he's still widely viewed as a top two round guy by everyone. It's not like he's completely off the radar, but he's a kid who's one of the most talented forwards once you get out of the top 20 or 30 players in this draft. Uh, and, and I think he's a kid the Leafs could really like. He's a little bit on the skinny side in terms of that white frame, but the Leafs haven't shied away from that. I think the Leafs believe that they can work with these kids on their physique and their athleticism and bulking up and that kind of a thing. So Kisikov is really one player who I think fits into their mold. There are a couple of other teams that I could imagine being really interested. He also kind of fits in with the way that the Carolina Hurricanes have drafted I could imagine the Vegas Golden Knights targeting him, uh, but he's a player who I think is definitely probably more on the Leafs radar than the vast majority of teams. So it's very hard to handicap players in that range that could go anywhere. But if, if I had to pick one kid that I could say, okay, with that pick, who could they target that could be a sort of significant piece for them? I think Kisikov is, is probably one of the players that I would highlight. And if that happens, you heard it here first, folks. Scott Wheeler predicted it about a month <laughs> out from the draft that the Leafs will be taking this uh, talented young Russian. Uh, this would, I would be a pretty bad host if I didn't ask you on the E or on the night of game one where the Stanley Cup playoff starts, if I didn't ask for who you think is going to win or just your general thoughts on the Stanley Cup final. Oh, well, this, I mean, it's not what I expected. Uh, power to them. I think they're a better, Montreal is a better team than, we maybe thought they were. Their, their underlying numbers throughout the season were stronger than their results showed. They had a really difficult, I mean, we all know, but they had a really difficult schedule in the last month and a half of the season where they started to rack up losses. But it, it, they, and I, I think everybody has kind of acknowledged now that a lot of that just had to do with how dense it was for them. Uh, and Cole Caulfield makes them a better team. And Cole Caulfield wasn't on their team in the regular season. And his impact, I think, cannot be sort of overstated. So that plus carry, it makes them really interesting I, I think the problem that they could face uh or that they might face is that as good as Connor Hellebuck was and is Connor didn't play to his potential in that Winnipeg series and Carey has been the clear better goalie in each of their other matchups as good as Marc-Andre Fleury is and as good as Robin Lehner are and and now you're running into who I the goalie who I think is the best goalie in the world and the only goalie who has consistently played better hockey than the kind of hockey that Carey's playing right now and that's Vasilevsky so if Vasilevsky steals a game from Carey and 
all else is equal. Tampa's the much better team you know, in every other way. Uh, Kucherov's obviously an X factor, so you got to hope that he's healthy and that he can that he can play at the level that he was playing at in the first two rounds. But I still think it's Tampa in in six, uh, maybe even in five. Uh, I don't think it's going to go seven games, and I I would be pretty surprised if Montreal pulled it out. Yeah, I've I've got I've got Tampa in six as well. That's kind of my uh, that, that's what I've been saying all weekend. I suppose I think three weeks ago Mm -hmm. i think i would have predicted a sweep to be honest with you but like montreal (laughs) since the toronto series like they've they've just improved immensely they're extremely opportunistic but the thing is like tampa because for me i think the success with montreal at this point has been carrie price just being steady eddie in the net but also they've been winning all of the net front battles whether that's against toronto whether that's against winnipeg against vegas whether, you know, they've been clearing out the front of the net and they've been getting to the net in the offensive zone. That's going to be tough to do against a big team like Tampa Bay. But that's what I think is going to be a a big-time X factor for Montreal. Are they going to be able to continue to do that? Are they going to be able to to continue to keep uh, Tampa to the outside and get themselves in front of Vasilevsky, you know, create traffic, create havoc, bang away at rebounds, you know, make sure he doesn't see pucks. I think that's going to be massive. If they can successfully do that, I think they can win a couple of games, but I still don't, I'm still not ready to predict a, a, you know, a complete Cinderella storybook ending here for, for Montreal. And I would, I would just add to that, that there isn't a team that gets to the net better than Tampa. They just, do it so well, top to bottom, Braden Point, Pat Maroon, Alex Kalorn, those are guys who just play in the middle of the ice and, and get to the middle of the ice. So not only could Montreal struggle more uh, in terms of getting to that area against their defense, against Tampa's defense at the other end of the ice, but then they're coming back at you with one of the best transition games in the NHL. Then they're pushing, they're attacking, and they're getting really to the inside of the ice. That is where their game is. They, they are not a perimeter hockey team. So it's just going to be really tough top to bottom for Montreal, I think. I think it's a really difficult matchup for them. And then on top of that, I'm kind of just hoping to see a team go back to back. I, I think that's exciting in, in the cap era where – we really just don't see it anymore. And it's so difficult to be a contending team year in and year out and to extend that window. And they've just done a really good job of that. And it's, it's not even just the top to bottom sort of star players, like even guys like Luke Shen, like for the, for that, that Leafs hook, but even like the, the depth pieces, like a Luke Shen who comes in and out of the lineup, but just gives you something uh, and gives you a, a sort of regular shift whenever he plays. Like they just, there aren't any holes there. There's no area on that team where you look at them and say, they've got to improve in such and such a way. Like they just, they play the right way. They're extremely well coached. I think John Cooper is arguably the best coach on the planet right now. And then top to bottom, they, they, they check all the boxes in terms of how you want to build a team. So uh, I'm really looking forward to the series and looking forward to potentially to seeing Tampa go back to back. And if they don't, Montreal as a story will just be unbelievable in its own way. So I, I, I think it'll be, even if it's not the final people expected, I think there, there are good narratives in either direction. Yeah, I agree. I think it's kind of win-win for, uh, for a lot of people here for the NHL, right? You either get the back-to-back champions or, you know, you get the Cinderella run of, of the underdog Montreal Canadiens coming through and you know beating all the odds and lifting the trophy at the end of the year I will say and though, you get 
within that, sorry to interrupt you, but within that you get Carrie Price and Shea Weber and people yes. who are well-liked, just good people who've never won a cup. So th- th- there are threads there as well. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's, that's ultimately, like, I, I get a lot of flack from uh, some, from, you know, some schleps on Twitter about, <laughs> you know, uh, rooting for the Montreal Canadiens on this cup run, right? Like, at this yeah. point, it's like, how could you? They eliminated Toronto, their arrival. Any real Leafs fan could never vote, could never root for the Montreal Canadiens. I'm like, like, they've earned my respect. Like, the way that they've yeah. played, the way that they've gotten to the championship – They've earned my respect. And guys like Carey Price and Shea Weber, like I've always been fans of them. They've given me a lot of, of uh, good hockey memories. They've helped Canada win gold at many events, um, Olympics, World Juniors. So like they have players that I truly enjoy watching that I, I root for to have success. So maybe I'm rooting more so for the individuals to have success than the team. But in order for them to have success, the Montreal Canadiens have to win. So like that that's yeah. how I look at it. And you know, it seems like a lot of Leafs Nation is a little split on whether or not they're allowed to root for the Montreal Canadiens. But like I said, they've earned my respects. I'm rooting for them. I hope they get it done. I'm not confident. I'm not laying any juice uh, on, on the Canadiens. But uh, it would be a great story if they did. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I mean, Kerry is, is one of the most genuine, good people I've I've worked with over the years. I've probably only interviewed Kerry five to 10 times. Uh, but he's just, you can just tell he's a wonderful guy. So it's easy to pull for him and it would stamp his legacy as one of the great goalies of the modern era. If if it's not already stamped. So there's, there's legacy on the line. There's hall of fame on the line. There's things like that, which make it quite compelling. 100% Scott. Uh, really, really appreciate you joining me and taking the time today. Went a little bit longer than, uh, than we envisioned, but hey, I mean, once we get talking hockey, we just kind of go, right? <laughs> I hear you. No, thanks for having me. Anytime. All right. Really appreciate it. Uh, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Locked On Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Locked On Leafs. And uh, Scott, let them know where they can find you and plug any work you got coming up at The Athletic. At Scott C. Wheeler on Twitter, uh, my work for the next month, month and a half is strictly just the draft. It's preparing for the draft. I'm finishing up my mock draft today. Uh, I do a, one mock draft a year, basically, of the first round. So that'll be out this week. Uh, and then after that, I've got a few big features coming on kids that I've been uh, sort of getting to know for a long time. Two stories in particular that have been a long time in the making that I'm excited to share. And then that'll basically that and a couple other pieces will take me right into the draft. And then it's just recapping it all, going over every pick, going over each team's draft class and sort of giving my take on, on how everyone did. And for the Leafs fan, unfortunately, uh, in years past, I've been pretty busy and, and very thorough in, in sort of my assessment of their draft because they picked a lot. Even last year, they picked a ton for a contending team. But this year, they're looking like the Pittsburgh Penguins 2.0, where you might end up with uh, a couple of sentences from me at, at the, on the guys they picked, and then it's sort of see you next year. So uh, they're looking pretty grim for this draft. Yeah, but if they pick that Russian kid, you called it. You <laughs> called it. Absolutely. All right, Scott, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining me. Cheers. I'll be back with another episode tomorrow, guys. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.